Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. The experience economy is the concept that entered the business world about 20 years ago, but really picked up steam in the past few years. And I'll give some example. And, and if we're to learn a lesson from the business world and translate it into what it means for HR, that really can position your HR department with a competitive advantage compared compared to your competitors. So the experience economy is if if you are in the business of creating feeling to your customers, feeling going to engage and create loyalty in a much more different way than anything else, more than pricing, more than customer service. Sebastian is the SVP of Workforce Engagement at Atrium Health. He's a strategist, futurist, and visionary HR executive leading the strategic HR business partner, talent acquisition, employee experience, executive recruitment, and employee relations functions. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. Really happy to be with Sebastian today, chatting about something that may sound new for HR, but it's not really new yet. It is very, very important. So Sebastian, how are you doing? I'm doing great. What about you? Doing well, thank you. Thank you so much for joining me to talk about this idea of the experience economy and the impact in HR. I am really interested in knowing more about what it means the implications for HR, what do we need to do differently from what we've done in the past to make sure that we can that we can be ready and do our best to take advantage of this new reality of economy, work, life, and whatnot. So, so let's begin with the beginning, which is defining what the experience economy is. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and so the experience economy is the concept that entered the business world about 20 years ago, but really picked up steam in the past few years. And I'll give some example. And, and if we're to learn a lesson from the business world and translate it into what it means for HR, that really can position your HR department with a competitive advantage compared compared to your competitors. So the experience economy is if if you are in the business of creating feeling to your customers, feeling gonna engage and create loyalty in a much more different way than anything else, more than pricing, more than customer service, more than, and so, so let's give examples of companies that really master the experience economy. And that's gonna give you an idea of the level of loyalty that they're able to generate. So Disney is an example, uh, a prime example. Apple is another one, Amazon is another one. And even if we take Amazon Prime, if I, if I can share some, some data, anybody that passed the first year of Amazon Prime 98% retention after that. Wow. So basically they keep all their clients because it's just an amazing services and the experience and it's easy to use, et cetera. So, so, so the lesson to learn 
is organization that were able to change the way they were, they were doing business with their clients in a way that they were creating feeling are the organization right now that are winning. And like Maya Angelou always said, people forget what you tell them, they never forget how they feel about you. So now let's translate that into HR. And, and HR is truly, in fact, an experience function because we deal with people. And the second that your goal in HR is retention, it, it, you know, promoting people, making them better, um, uh, engagement, the second you think you talk about all those concepts, it all comes down to experience. And if we want to think about in a world where it is an employee market, and I understand right now the unemployment rate is up, we're in the middle of a crisis, but it will go back to where it was before. So we will go back into an employee market. In a market where all your teammates and your employee has the choice to stay or leave, your only way to win is to create an experience, not engagement, experience, is to create feeling that's going to make people want to stay and stay loyal to you. So what it could mean, for example, in terms of engagement and, and where HR really come into play, you create feeling in the life of your employee before they even start. How do they feel when they interact with your website? How do they feel when they interact with your talent acquisition? How do they feel on day one, right? Their onboarding experience. The decision to quit in the first 90 days is taken at day 14 or day 30. How do they feel between day 14 and day 30? And, and if your organization is not thinking that way and finding a way to tap into creating a feedback mechanism and understand how your teammate think in those crucial moments, then, then you're not maximizing the experience economy and you're not moving HR into an experience function. So that's, that's, that's uh, it's a lesson learned from the business world. Absolutely. And that is just so fascinating because of course it's, it's worked in the business world and now we got to find a way to make it world to make it work in the hr world of course i do see a challenge which is that traditionally hr has not really been taught or or hasn't taken up the challenge to think with empathy on how other people feel about the work that they do on the other hand what we've done is we have designed processes and systems and policies and things to fit people in the corporate box, regardless of how they feel. So what this idea of the experience economy is making me think is that we are going to need to have a new set of skills, a new portfolio of capabilities to be able to do this effectively. So my question to you becomes then, what are the skills that this business that you're talking about did not have before that they needed to learn in order to be effective uh, in the experience economy and how that translates into the world of HR. Absolutely. And let me, let me answer your, your, your question differently and I'll, I'll get there. So I'll use an example and I'll get there. So, so not too long ago, there was a huge transformation in HR when we went from a tactical function into more of a strategic function, mm -hmm. truly having a voice into the C-suite and, and moving away from, from the day-to-day the -day operation into really more of an enterprise mindset. And the, the, there's two ways to do that, right? So it's either you take your HR people and you train them to think that way, or you go find the talent that have that specific thing as a skill set. And very often they don't come from HR, yeah. right? So, so, so you're gonna go get those business mind, those strategic mind coming from another function and then true balance. So again, if, if you only have business mind or strategic mind, you're not winning. 
But if you only have the HR, the people side without the strategic mind, you're also not winning. So to bring those talent and match them with your HR people, this is how you enhance your HR function into a strategic function. Experience economy is the exact same mindset. So yes, we, we can take classes. So customer class, you know, consumer experience classes and, and how does those organization like the Disney of this world were able to get to that level or you, you, you can change the profile of who you're hiring in HR and through a balance, not a full overhaul, but through a balance, bring people from those organizations and those industries. And it's not a bad thing that they come from a different industry than yours. Because if I want to understand the experience economy, I probably want to have somebody from the entertainment business, right? And, and I'm in healthcare. Now I will teach them healthcare, but what they will teach us is how to perceive our consumer and our teammate in a very different way. And, and, and that is invaluable. You know, that's, that is so fascinating. One, people ask me very often, hey, Enrique, do you think HR is going to go out of business? It's going to go obsolete. My answer is, well, it depends. If we continue to do the same thing that we've done, yeah, of course, we're going to go out of business because that function that we do is transactional. It can be done by technology. Maybe they you know, lay off 90% of our nature department and keep one person. And then the flip side of that is when people ask me, what do you think we need to do to not go out of business? My response to the question is we need to learn non-HR stuff. And learning, not, learning non-HR stuff also means bringing non-HR people to the organization, to the HR function that can elevate HR from a different perspective. I myself, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an example of that. I am an electronic engineer. I came into the world of HR. And of course, the, the way my, my brain works is I always have this engineering mindset, this HR mindset, and I try to combine whenever it's possible to create something that it's better than if it had been created only by HR or only by engineering mindset. So this idea of bringing people from business, from marketing, sales, uh, customer experience is just so powerful, so powerful. I think actually it's the way to win. And, and, and I think you're the perfect example. And, and the best way to say it is there's a big difference between a people person that understand business and a business person that understand people. And it's when you can get into a business person that understand people with the help of HR, right? So, so again, it's all about balance. Diversity of background matter tremendously. Uh, but you need to find those business people, uh, business, there's those business people that understand people, like, like in this case yourself. So I cannot agree more. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I think in, in 2017, of course, I don't know how that's changed over the past three years. I, I, I need to look at, at the recent data. But in 2017, the Deloitte Human Capital Report said that 40% of the newer CHROs were coming from, quote unquote, the business and not from HR. And to me, that's a tale of sort of like, uh, uh, you know, sort of two sides of this coin, right? On the one hand, I think it's positive to bring people that are not from, a, from an HR background into HR to elevate everybody else who already works in HR. But at the same time, it tells me that the business that need HR to do more are not finding HR doing that. And they need to bring somebody from outside to complement the really relevant skills that HR is not, is not having. So to me, that, that, is, that is fascinating. Uh, so let me, it, when you think about the experience economy, translating that into an internal workplace, how does it look like? And I ask you this question 
and I'm gonna I'm gonna add a premise to this question or or, or an assumption. We are spoiled. When we go to get a taxi, in 10 seconds, we click a button in Uber or Lyft, and the taxi is there five minutes later. When we want to buy something, it doesn't matter what it is. We go to Amazon, we find the something, we click one click button or one click buy, whatever the name is, and two days later, the thing is in, the, in your door. We are spoiled by these companies, and we may have the same expectations from our workplaces. So how does the experience economy make sense internally in an organization? Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. So we are spoiled and, and it is an expectation of every um, um, uh, job worker that we have right now to have that from their, their organization. So the way to do it is, is two things, is to have feedback mechanism so that you can understand how people feel at crucial time in their life, that they, in their life cycle that they have in your organization and then it's to address all of those moments with the question, what is the experience of that person in that specific moment and what should I change? So again, if, if I go back to, to the example of having an experience with a carrier uh, with the website, how long do they spend on the website? Can they apply just with a click of a button or is it a, a 30 minute application process? When they, when they talk with um, uh, a talent acquisition consultant, do they feel desired? Do they feel that they will be welcome into the organization? So it's to create a, um, a process where you would assess each of the touch points in HR and be able to assess the level of experience that people go through in each of those process and then make the necessary changes, right? So, so I'll give you even another example, um, conversation I was having a few months back with our employee relation function where, where we agreed it is an experience function because employee relation is teammates reach out to you when something is going wrong. So they're already in a bad spot. So yeah. their experience needs to be fantastic. And experience in this case doesn't mean to hear what they want to hear. It might mean responsiveness. It might mean empathy. It might mean easy to follow cases, you know, et cetera. So then you can make the right changes to enhance the experience of the people. Uh, so that's the two way to do it, feedback mechanism, and then looking at it with a lens of how do people feel when they interact with us that way, and then make uh, the changes. Absolutely. I, I want to tie this back to, to somewhat my previous question about the skills that HR needs to embrace in order to do this effectively. You mentioned one of them, which was you, you have to have the capacity to bring people with, with a different background that can elevate your HR function in the direction of becoming more of an experience function. If you, for HR leaders, what else do you think they need to do in order to build that function that creates that amazing experience that you're talking about? Yeah, I, I would, I would uh, do everything I can to educate myself on the consumer experience and on any business cases. Uh, coming from enterprise that, that or companies that are maximizing the experience economy. So I would look into how entertainment is doing it. I would look how Tesla is doing it. Very often it's a matter of looking into who's dominating, even Walmart, right? You know, they, they create experience in a very different way, but it's still an experience and it's an experience that keep growing uh, and they grow their, their clientele base. And I would really bring that consumer mindset into the HR function mixed with the business mindset and both together create the, yeah, absolutely. That, that, is, that is fascinating. So, so we already have a hint of what a successful HR function of the future will be looking like. It's an, exper an experiential HR function. Uh, out of all the things that you've seen, 
beyond the experience economy, what other elements do you think are going to be the cornerstones or the cornerstone of a successful HR function, you know, going forward? Yeah. So there's a quote uh, from a hockey player that I, that I keep using uh, just because I'm a sports fan and I love taking sports quotes into uh, business world. But, but arguably the best hockey player of all time is Wayne Gretzky. And one of, of uh, journalists question to Wayne was, Wayne, what made you the greatest of all time? And what Wayne Gretzky answered is, I never go where the puck is. I always go where the puck is going to be. So, so if we reflect into that, he was predicting where the puck was going to go, position himself in advance to where he thought the puck was going to go and ended up being more right than not, which made him the greatest of all time. And if you think about it in HR, this is a skill that we are awful at. If we compare ourselves to other industry or to other departments, so for example, marketing is very strong in predicting the future because this is who they are. They need to predict the trend of the consumer and position ourselves right away so we can meet that trend. If we think about, about some industry like, for example, technology or uh, manufacturing or distribution like Amazon, everything is based on prediction. In the case of HR, if you trust your data, well, then you might be good to have good reporting. And reporting is how you look in the past, where the puck was. And maybe if you trust your data, you might be able to draw a conclusion on how you look today, where the puck is. But very often, HR is not good at taking all the trends of the future and make action today to be able to proactively address that trend where the puck is going to be. And, and that in itself, which is what we call strategic workforce planning, is a huge opportunity in HR. And I will say, um, uh, when I talk with peers all over the nation, when I ask about their data analytics function or their strategic workforce planning function, when they describe to me what they have, it, it's really just cute reporting. It's not a strategic workforce planning function. And cute reporting only tells you the past, where the puck was. But this is not what's going to make HR win. Neither that's what's going to make HR be more powerful as a strategic partner on the C-suite, uh, neither being better at the experience economy, right? Because experience is about predicting behavior. So, so strategic workforce planning would be a huge opportunity for me. Yeah. Absolutely. There are, there are you, you are describing something that I, that I have called in the past two skills that I think HR leaders in general, not only HR leaders, but leaders in general need to embrace. One thing is what I call believing the unbelievable and the other one is seeing the invisible. And what I mean by seeing the invisible is that your eyes on the horizon is not enough. They need to go further than the horizon. And to do that, you don't have to be the expert in everything. You just need to bring the teams. And you mentioned this before. You need to bring people that are able to lift you up so that you can see even further. And believing the unbelievable to me means you got to believe that when somebody tells you this could potentially happen. You got to think, I got to get ready for that to happen. If it doesn't happen, it was not a wasted exercise. I, I got better. I learned. But if you, if somebody tells you something and you don't believe that that something could happen, then you are making yourself a big disservice because you're thinking that whatever you have going on, you have total control of that and you're missing the possibility of unpredictable things to, to actually happen. So that to me is, is what you're describing. You have this ability to be always way ahead of the curve and believing that what's ahead could potentially happen. 
I might, I, so I love, love, love those two quotes. And with your permission, I might steal them. Absolutely. And of course, I would, I would, I would quote you, <laughs> but, but see the invisible and believe the unbelievable. It's, that, is a, that is another best way to, 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 to reflect what I was trying to say. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, and I love that you use a great example of that. Normally, you know, one of the, one of the examples that I, that I love bringing up to the table is the case of Kodak. I, I had the great opportunity to interview Steven Sasson, who was the guy who, who created the digital camera. And I asked him, you know, what happened with Kodak? You know, Kodak had like 90% of the market share in the 1970s, and then he went bankrupt in the, you know, in the, in the 2012 or something along those lines. What happened with Kodak? He said, well, when I presented this idea of the digital camera to the executives at Kodak, they said, that's good. We're going to patent it, and we're going to continue developing. But digital photography will never replace film photography. So they did not have the capacity to believe the unbelievable, to believe that something that they were so opposed to could potentially happen. And it happened and it disrupted them and it destroyed the company. The same thing happened with Nokia and with BlackBerry. The same thing happened with, you know, several other technologies that went to the cemetery of technologies because they did not believe that what the experts were telling them was potentially something that could happen. So I think yeah. that idea of having the, you know, uh, of, of predicting what could potentially happen is so powerful. And, oh, I, I agree. Like the example I keep giving is Blockbuster and Netflix. So I yeah. love the Kodak uh, because this is the same, the same example. Yeah. And, and to go back to the beginning of our conversation, that's a skill that we don't have in HR. Yeah. So when we think about how can you bring people into HR that have that capacity to not see, not just see the invisible. See, I'm going to already steal your, your, your quote. You can use to it. not just see the invisible, but make it believable for the people yeah. that doesn't want to believe. And that's yeah. also a skill set that is, ver that is that, that other industry or other department are very good at, but very often in HR, we don't have that skill set of, of, of making believable something that is unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing that actually has been part of a lot of the conversations that I've had during the podcast is how important it is for HR to be able to craft a business case for something to happen in the organization. If you want to build an, ex, an experiential HR, if you want to create this sense of we are providing feelings, not just a service in HR, you can't come to the CEO of a company and say, I want to make my people feel good. I mean, some of them may say, may say, all right, you know, how much money do you need for that? But we know that most won't say that. Most will ask, all right, how much is it going to cost? What's going to change when you do that? What do you need to make it happen? What do we expect in terms of more profitability, more performance, more productivity? So that idea of doing all that you're describing, being, being thinking ahead of the curve, building this experiential uh, HR function, doing better strategic workforce planning requires us to be able to build a business case for these things to happen in, in HR. Absolutely. And the business case is speaking the same language than a CFO, a COO, or a CEO, right? It's their language that increases your credibility with them. So that, that to me is a crucial skill in, 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 in HR, not just today, but tomorrow. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you think? I think that if you talk to people in HR and you describe this, they will tell you, yeah, yeah, that's all, that's all true. You know, I, I love Amazon and I love Uber and I love Lyft and Airbnb, great experience. And then you tell them, what, what, why don't you think about that and build a similar experience for, for HR? They will come up with 1 billion excuses not to do it. 
what do you think in your experience is generally on the way as roadblocks preventing us from thinking this way or if we are thinking in this way already from from making it happen what do you think it's on the way for the strategic workforce planning and, and for building the experience economy and for thinking ahead of the curve so 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 it's a couple of things it's 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 to hire the right profile of hr that's going to be able so you need to have the right skill set yeah. um I, I want to touch on the strategic workforce workforce planning in the sense that um, to be able to get the function, you need to, to be able to prove the value. And very yeah. often, there's three buckets of strategic workforce planning. There's the reporting, which is the past. So we talked about that. But there's a short term and the long term. And the short term is very often where you can prove the value. And very often in the short term, it's a six to 18 months view of the future. You can do it with predictive um, uh, turnover and predictive hiring. So I'll give an example. Uh, in the past two organization I worked with, at 95% accuracy, we were able to predict when and where a turnover would happen before it even happened. So then you can start recruiting months before the, the turnover happened. Therefore, you lower your vacancy, you, you maximize productivity and all that stuff. And the second, you can prove results. And again, this is all the business case, right? We're, we're all talking about building that business case. Once you prove results, then you can move into that part of strategic workforce planning, which is assessing the three to three to five next year of yeah. what the employment market going to look like, what's going to be the, the socioeconomic landscape, and then make prediction to position yourself today. And that's that's what matters is just bring the right skill set to build the right function and be willing to take the guts to do it. Right. It, it, it required the leadership and the executive in HR to be willing to make that first step and have different departments that they're not used to have in the past and, and, and create that value that way. Absolutely. And, and one thing that has also come up in my conversations is how important it is for HR to be brave and be courageous. To, you're, say, you're saying it, you gotta, you gotta be a leader in this sense. You can't wait for things to happen, especially because the, the world is moving so fast right now. Uh, one of the examples that, that I think is fascinating is I was reading, I think it was the book, Exponential Organizations, I don't remember, telling the story about how uh, one company was, is building turbines, turbines for, for airplanes. And the company used to take a couple of years to build a prototype and to experiment with it and put it in the market. So that means that if you needed engineers to build those prototypes, you could take you know, five months to hire an engineer or four months. And yes, that was going to disrupt the operation, but not as much as you know, as, uh, as you would think of. But now the same company with 3D printing is taking something along the lines of two or three weeks to, do, to create the same prototype. So as a leader in HR, you got to understand that your process has to change now because you can't give, you don't have the time to hire somebody in six months. In six months, the company has already made, you know, 15 prototypes. So, so it's, it's, it's that idea of being courageous and bold to be, ahead of the curve and to do what's right in the context of the business goals and the business priorities. That's exactly that. And, and you said it right. So if you want to take your time, you can do it organically, but that's going to take time. And that means retraining the people you already have. But if you want to go for speed, which is necessary in this world, you need to be willing to be disruptive and do a transformation. Yeah. And those are very painful. So it, it required a lot, of, a lot of energy and work but they are worth it. Yeah. it. It's worth it because it's really putting HR into a position to drive the people's strategy and be a stewards of the organization as a whole, 
not just a, 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 you know, a small department. Um, and the value that can bring for the teammate, for the organization um, is, is tenfold. So it's absolutely, absolutely worth it. Absolutely. Well, Sebastian, this has been a great conversation and I have a couple of questions to, to wrap up our chat. The first one is, and I, I want to focus this question on, the, on building the experiential or the experience HR function. If you were in front of 1,000 HR leaders who have not done this and they are like, Sebastian, this is amazing. I have no idea how to make it happen. What would be the one first action that you would recommend them to take in order to start building this experience or experiential HR? The one that would shock the most, and, and if we touched on it, I would say hire outside of HR and hire outside of your industry. Because you can teach somebody HR, you can teach somebody an industry, but you cannot teach all the baggage and the experience and the background that they bring on the table. Go get yourself an expert and, 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 and push the boundary. Get them outside of HR, get them outside of your industry. They're going to bring to the table so much and, and you will be able to teach them your industry. They're smart people. They're going to figure it out. Yeah. Um, and that's the one way is, 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 is change your profile. Look at HR as a business function, as an experience function, change your profile. I love that. And I, I want to highlight that message to all our listeners and our viewers in this podcast, because very often I go to job postings in HR and I read them and I say, I think to myself, these job postings look like something of 25 years ago. They, you look at a job posting from HR of 25 years ago, they are asking exactly the same thing, maybe changing a couple of words that are the newer words that express something, but the core capabilities continue to be the same. I don't see people looking for engineers in HR. I don't see people looking for artists in HR. I don't think people are looking for biologists in HR. And all of those and many more are so critical for the success of our function. So, so thank, thank you for bringing that up. Um, and my last question to you, Sebastian, as we finally wrap up this conversation is, what are you the most excited and the most concerned about the future? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I, I love change. So what I'm the most excited is how technology is, 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 is supporting us, how technology is going to put us in a position to be more productive. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm thrilled to see all the advancement we're doing. And in a certain way, if I have to see the positive in a, into a pandemic, the pandemic put us in a position where we had to accelerate yeah. some of the changes that, that we had to do um, uh, as an organization, and, and, and I'll give one as an example, working remotely, yeah. right? Not, not a lot of industry or not a lot of company were doing work remotely with COVID. It put companies into a position where they had to embrace it very, very fast. Well, let's not, let's, let's not waste a good pandemic. Let's learn from it and embrace the change and position ourselves right away into what the future would be. And in this case, we know that working re remotely or virtually um, uh, is an upcoming trend. What concerned me the most, and, and I will link it to, to, um, to the experience economy, the technology. So right now, currently today, 80% of all the workforce in the U.S. is a passive job seeker. So the definition of passive job seekers is I'm not looking for a job. I'm per perfectly happy, but I see something or I hear something that make me want to explore and then maybe apply on a job. And, and to put things into perspective, before social media, it was 35%. So about 12 years ago, it was 35%. Social media made it 80%. The technology to make it 100% already exists. 
And the technology to be able to make you apply on a job and schedule an interview in less than 10 seconds already exists. Now, it didn't pick up yet, but it exists. So again, do we want to be Blockbuster or do we want to be Kodak or do we want to see the, you know, see the invisible? So if the technology to have a 100% passive job seeker market already exists, which means that virtually every single person working for your organization will have the capacity to leave you or to apply on job in less than 10 seconds, how are you going to create an experience that's going to never make them want to do that? Hmm. And I, I come back to the experience economy, they're going to be loyal to you if they feel with you um, because they will have access to job on the tip of a finger as simple as an app on your phone and, 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 and in 10 seconds. Yep. That, that, is, that is incredible. And in all, in all I think it, to, to, to think about the role of HR in, 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 in addressing that challenge is to know and to realize how important our function is and could potentially be going forward if we do the right thing now, if we believe the unbelievable and start seeing the invisible and taking action in the direction of change and, and making sure that we do the right thing. So Sebastian, thank you so much for being with me today. This was a fascinating conversation. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. So it was great to share with you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next Hacking HR podcast. See you all soon. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.